Practicing the Buddhist path is, for most of us, an experience of gradual awakening. Very few people get quick and dramatic changes to their understanding of truth and the experience of their own mind through the practice. Most people have to keep cultivating the path over many months, years, even lifetimes. So we have to keep reminding ourselves of that. Our habit is always to look for a quick, quick result, quick solution. Because suffering in its nature is difficult to bear with, so we don't like it, we don't want it, we want to get rid of it quickly. <clears throat> gradual path, they say, like walking into the ocean. The depths of the floor of the ocean gradually getting deeper, the water level of the water getting deeper. If you were to walk down the beach and then into the sea and keep walking down the sand underneath the ocean, just gradually gets deeper and deeper. Before we can develop a true refuge in our own hearts that we can trust, then we have to keep cultivating the path. Keep listening to the teachings, keep applying them over and over and over again. Many people, particularly those who haven't meditated very much, tend to cling to external refuges and see a refuge as more external. Even Buddha Dhamma Sangha, we can catch ourselves praying to the Buddha for help, or the devas for help, or a teacher for help. And it's not completely wrong. Sometimes people find that works. But if we're honest, it's still attaching to something very external, superficial, and coming more from belief than real knowledge and understanding. And when we're practicing, we're committing to developing internally the same qualities that the Buddha developed. 
same qualities that the Arya Sangha developed. They started with the same raw materials as us, body and mind, <clears throat> in the same backgrounds as us, in families, in their education, in their personalities, some of them had jobs, even families sometimes, wife, children. No different from us. But they learned to develop these qualities, the qualities of the Arya Sangha, practice well directly with insight for release from suffering. The qualities of a Buddha, peacefulness, wisdom, compassion, and so on. They stuck to developing those qualities with commitment, without giving up with the various challenges and obstacles that they met. But their starting point was the same as us. But they learned to internalize the teachings. Opanayika Dhamma inclining our minds towards, inwardly towards the Dhamma, to the truth. <coughs> and bringing what they heard from the Buddha or from their teachers inwardly and comparing their experience, investigating their experience until they gain direct knowledge, the kind of knowledge that released their mind from the causes of suffering. They're no different from us, other than that they may be more further down the line in their practice, having not given up, not getting waylaid or distracted or called out by different things. They stuck to the practice to the point where they actually gained knowledge and release in their own hearts and minds. They gained a true refuge internally. So part of our practice is <coughs> listening to the teachings, contemplating them. Part of it is learning to inspire ourselves. bring up our own effort in the practice and develop a sense of confidence in the practice. Confidence in ourselves as human beings to practice. And there's nobody who cannot practice. Obviously we have our different karma. And there are those individuals maybe who've made very serious heavy karma which might block Margapala for this life. I'm not sure that anyone has done that here. So whatever obstacles we have, they're all... all can be surmounted through the practice. It has to come through our own efforts, 
our unwillingness to train, to learn, to apply the teachings. All we can do is learn through the experiences we have as we train in the Vinaya, develop the meditation, do acts of goodness through body, speech and mind. We're learning and we're working through our own karma, our own personality, our own attachments, desires, whatever forms they come up. So we have to be honest, we have to get to know our own character, what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are. By developing this ability to bring up mindfulness, clear comprehension and then re reflect on our experience. When they talk about Jarita, we have different characters. The greedy character, the angry character, the deluded character. The one who believes easily, has faith in teachers and teachings easily. The warrior, always worrying and thinking. The one who likes to investigate, find things out contemplate and so on. These are the six main charities, but there's also their, their offshoots. We have all of them inside ourselves. But Ajahn Chah used to say, we tend to have one characteristic that might come up more than others. Hidden in there, tends to keep re-emerging whatever we do in the practice. In the beginning, because of our inexperience, often the very one that we are prey to in terms of kilesa is often the one that gets away all the time because it's one we're used to. And we're used to defending it, backing it up, identifying with it. The ones that we're not so strongly identified with, often we notice them easily. So people have a lot of dosa. They often learn to see greed and sensual attachment quickly or delusion, confusion, wrong thinking they see quickly, easily. But the dosa, the anger underlying their actions and their thinking, they often miss because it's so much a part of them. Or the monk who's attached to greed and sensuality often notices ill will straight away because it doesn't fit with what he's used to. Quickly jumps on that, lets go of it. But the way ill will, uh, the way greed and sensual attachment comes up, it's often completely missing it. Some teachers say to the point where it's just oozing out of their orifices. Wherever there's an orifice and their greed, their sensuality is just oozing out. 
and I don't see it. So I have to be very patient and watchful in the in the practice. So often we get tripped up by calculators that we're not yet seeing. Sometimes other people can see them. People all around us see. We don't see ourselves. They say one quality of the Arya Pugala, particularly for the Sodapana or one aspiring to Sodapana, is that they're honest about Kilesa. They're even willing to own up, talk about Kilesa. Kilesas they have that they've seen, recognized. They can't hide them because the very mind is inclining to Nibbana, has to be able to see them even discuss them, say, with a teacher or a trusted Kalyanamitta. So if you want to abandon the cause of suffering, you have to be honest and admit what is the cause of suffering. Because our habit as lay people, unenlightened, lay people or even unenlightened monks, is we tend to defend our kilesas, especially the ones that we're not seeing or that we identify strongly with. We defend them, we hide them, we protect them because it's what we're used to, it's what we know. So the Buddha said sometimes compared to the practice it's like turning up some kind of a, a vessel like a cup or a water scoop that's been face down in the dirt, turning it up, upside. What was previously covered with being face down with now turning up. And by the standards of the world, often the Kilesas don't like that. They don't like being seen, pointed out we have our sense of self, we have, we've invested a lot of self in them. So we don't like to admit our weaknesses, our faults. Often the very faults that we harboring, we often notice them in others and ignore them in ourselves because we're so used to them. So sometimes the practice is a little bit painful as we start to, with mindfulness, with wisdom, we start to analyze the truth. And often in the early days, a lot of the truth is about, say, our sila, we're having to learn to keep the sila, five precepts, eight precepts, or the vinaya. Trying to do it well because we have faith and in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. But then our mind is not always perfect, so with weaknesses sometimes we don't like it when they come out. But the Vinaya, there's not a lot of room for maneuver. We're having to learn to be quite firm with our practice. It has to become a kind of a constant in the practice. However defiled the state of mind is, we don't let it spill out into breaking the Vinaya through speech, through action. 
There's not many rules we can break just through the mind itself. There probably are a few. I remember one, in one monastery that there were two monks practicing the fire casino. But at the same time, they're also a little bit rivals. They had the same vases, same kind of background, same kind of desire to be successful in the practice. But different characters and obviously different people. So one would be sitting in one kuti and another in another kuti, practicing the fire casino, sending their jitter out. And the fire casino tends to make you hot if you're already a character with a lot of heat, meaning a lot of anger, ill will, dosa jarita. They say don't practice the fire casino at first because it tends to intensify your anger. So these two were sitting, thinking of each other, competing to see who can develop the fire casino and then directing it at the other one bit like the magnifying glass when we've got a sunny day and you want to burn something. I used to be a kid in my class at school who'd burn little creatures with his magnifying glass, enjoy watching them get all smoky, see if he could set them on fire. And these two monks were doing that. Instead of developing the path, the Eightfold Noble Path, they were sitting there developing samadhi, but what you might call micca samadhi. Micca sati, micca vayama. Everything was micca, micca ditti. Still too much self, too much anger underlying this practice of samadhi. To the point even one of them had to end up going to hospital difficult to prove why, but he had this terrible pain and this kind of scar emerging on his chest. What was causing it, hard to say, but most people attributed it to his negative way of practicing meditation. Some even thought it was the impact of the other guy's casino fire casino. Needless to say, they were both admonished and weren't getting on very well in their practice till they started to change their attitude, develop more metta and more... I think they turned to Anapanasati. So clearly wasn't working what they were doing. Because ignorance underlies kilesa, craving, attachment, the way it arises. Obviously very difficult sometimes to see kilesa at work. Even when we do good, sometimes it slips in. We get attached to the good we're doing. Get a sense of self, pride forming around it. Maybe the good we're doing turns into something bad sometimes. Constantly have to be on our guard. Other monks, it's not so much ill will, maybe it's metta is a problem. They find it satisfying to practice a lot of metta. Yeah. Daily routines of meditation, 
study, interaction with others. So obviously, the danger there is it can turn into lust, lustful attachment, particularly for the opposite sex. Thinking about that one today, going into the hospital, we are surrounded by doctors and nurses. And a lot of time when you're sitting there, not doing much. People like meta, they like to talk to you and to get to know you. Particularly if it's females, there's some danger there. You don't want to be cold and un unappreciative of people's efforts to help you, but you don't want to be too attached either. Meta, we have to learn restraint right amount. Learn the dangers. <clears throat> Remember when I was young, one, young monk, one monk, he got, I think it was some kind of diarrhea, and ended up in the hospital. He was there a few days. He'd been pretty depressed in his practice because he was staying in the monastery. It was the Vasa and it's wet cloudy all the time, a lot of rain, robes go mouldy, hard to do much because it's so wet and rainy. He didn't speak much Thai. He was from another country, he wasn't from Thai. So he's in the hospital for a day or two. Next thing we heard, he started teaching English classes. So obviously the doctors and nurses were interested to improve their linguistic skills. Ajahn and Anand went to visit and arrived half a dozen nurses sitting around the bed learning English. This monk enjoying himself in the middle. Needless to say he was forced into a quick recovery, returned to the monastery. <laughs> Lasers are tricky. They like to hijack even the good that we do. So we're always learning to learn to review our actions, our speech. This helps us to get to the root of things, the mind, our thinking, the opinions, the views that form. Different way that laser takes over the mind. We have to keep reviewing, looking. Again, it's this process sometimes a little painful because we have to learn from mistakes we've made. Sometimes we say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing. Sometimes we realize ourselves, sometimes it comes up from others, their reactions or even comments they make. So a lot of our practice is about reviewing what we've said and done, what's going on and being honest and looking for skillful ways to improve. This is the way the Buddhist practices, the founding principle is that as human beings is we, we can prove, we can change ourselves through the practice. Nothing is fixed. We're not destined to suffer over and over again, destined to have kilesa oppressing our minds over and over again. 
we have the ability as human beings to change, to do something about it. But we have to apply the practice. We have to keep looking and learning, opening up, awakening to what's going on. That's part of the establishing of faith. It's not just a faith in others to change, it's also having faith that we can change. But also being patient enough, humble enough to change. Sometimes the, the very commitment to the practice can cause suffering. It can get very serious, very intense. And maybe that's correct sometimes. But not necessarily all the time. Sometimes that leads to too much craving coming up. Craving for results, craving to be a certain way, a certain kind of person, a certain kind of practitioner. So sometimes to sense of humour helps to lighten things up a bit if we're getting too serious, to laugh about things we've done. Not so much to laugh at others because that can turn into putting others down, more to laugh at ourselves, our own foolishness or our own mistakes. But obviously sometimes we don't need to laugh at ourselves, we need to do something about ourselves. We do sometimes have to be more serious, more intense. Part of the practice is having that experience, understanding to see what's appropriate in different, at different times in our practice. When to lighten up, when to be more restrained, more focused. Obviously, when you're meditating, learning to let it go of all the distractions and perhaps to be too light-hearted is not helpful either. Sometimes we have to learn just to be equanimous, neutral, focus the mind on an object, work to let go of distraction using both wisdom and mindfulness. Obviously when the mind becomes peaceful in samadhi, then the more coarser ubaya, skillful means you don't need them anymore. You don't need to lighten up. If you brought the mind to a sense of peace, it will feel light, at ease, happy in itself. Ill will will have faded, doubt will have faded, sleepiness will have faded. It's obviously those qualities that we are always relying on at whatever level of the practice. They might be the five indriya. So we always need to be cultivating and maintaining the faith, the conviction in the path, in our ability to practice, to really value the practice. We always need to maintain that, but we need to 
always maintain the ability to investigate. Investigate the truth of what's going on. Investigate our own beliefs, reflections, challenge them sometimes. Or having learnt, really learnt something, gained some experience and knowledge, well, to accept things sometimes as well, and to know oh, this is correct. But never quite a hundred percent. Sajjan Chah reminded us, everything is, there has to be that one percent, and still not sure. Otherwise we can become very deluded. always be developing mindfulness, samadhi, always developing wiriya, putting effort into the practice to bring up mindfulness, to develop samadhi and then to contemplate, reflect. And the five indriyas are never, never wrong. They may get a little out of balance, but they're never wrong. They're always the areas to be developing in the practice. But we never have to feel that we should just sit back in the sense there's always more to do, more to cultivate. But the value of developing some continuity of mindfulness, not just in the sitting posture, in all postures, the mind does start to experience that spaciousness of samadhi, where the thinking does <clears throat> fade away, even if there's still a few thoughts popping up here and there, they're not too disturbing. The mind starts to brighten, there's that experience of emptiness, spaciousness, where it's just knowing, knowing the object without thinking too much, without too much distraction, proliferation, imagination. And once you experience that, then you can build on that very well. Emptying the mind of its habit of always grasping at opinions and views. On a more refined level, emptying the mind of its habit of always grasping at visual images, even limiters if they arise. Not to keep looking for new experiences, bright lights, pictures, visions, feelings of rapture and so on. And have developed more one-pointedness, equanimity, just to allow things to come up but let, allow them go away again. Using reflection on impermanence, just keep bringing it up. And refining awareness on the object. But as we do this, to also to witness the emptiness of the mind, however brief, and really use that as an object. If something comes up to disturb us in the course of our day, and see if we can get back to that emptiness that we might have had previously, not to lose track of it, not to let it go too, for too long with the mind just caught up in proliferation again. 
there's some monks that if they get caught into a mood, whether it's anger, ill will, or lust, doubt, worry, they just won't let it sit there in the mind. So obviously even if you do nothing, most moods will pass, they have their phase, they're replaced by something else, but obviously they'll come back at you again. Some monks, they won't let that happen. They don't want to let it pass without working with it, struggling with it, bringing up mindfulness, trying to really contemplate, to really abandon it from the mind. So if lust comes up, they're not just going to sit there or lie there and indulge it. They're really going to practice until they've set it to rest and return to a state of emptiness using reflection on the body, on the super, on impermanence and so on. Or if ill will comes up to really not rest until they've re-established metta, gain the pity and the sukha that comes with that. You know, if you really catch a defilement, not to let it go, just keep working at it, however hard, however long it takes. Keep sitting, keep walking. The Buddha said that the target that doesn't stop in the posture is in. If a kilesa came up, you'd stick with it until it's gone, until he's abandoned it. And Jen Char said, like using a net in the paddy fields, northeast Thailand, they use these nets to fish. You've got something in there, but you haven't caught it yet. You haven't got your arms, hands around it. You haven't seen it, but you know it's there. So you're fumbling around under the water, gradually pulling the net until you've got it, got hold of it, and you can catch it. However slippery the kalesa is, you know, don't let it go. Really work with it. You find yourself enjoying an image or a sound, the image of a woman or a sound of music or a woman's voice or a smell of perfume or something, but don't let it just happen and not do anything about it. Work with that, see if you can restrain the mind, see if you can even get beyond it, see, see through it. See the impermanence, see the super of it. There's a part of the female form you're attached to. Pull it out. Look what's underneath. Take the skin off. What happens when it gets old, shrivels up and dies? If you're angry with someone, really work to try and bring the mind back to neutrality, where you can see them just as another human being with the potential for enlightenment. See them as somebody who's doing some good that you can give your anamodana to. If they're having, behaving with kilesas, then just have compassion for them because that's bringing them suffering. But to be able to bring the mind to that point where it can see through its own biases, just see everybody in a more neutral way and have compassion, kindness for others. If 
worry takes over the mind will really work to the point where you can settle that worry there and then get to the point where it finishes in the mind worries about health worries about the future where am I going to go what am I going to do take that as your inspiration to sit or walk if you're feeling bored with the practice or fed up or tired if you notice a kilesa well, don't leave it unaddressed work with it don't stop till you've sorted it out in the end usually it's waiting on usually dukkha waiting on is what gets us too much pain in the legs too tired too hungry too cold too hot gets the point where they oh enough but even that sometimes challenging the reaction to dukkha waitana that's stopping us carrying on with the practice this is also kilesa aversion to dukkha waitana not happy not not able to establish mindfulness and transcend it giving into it in the end you look at all the teachers we studied under including the Buddha and the Sawakas right down to the present day they've all had times when they just said well I'm going to not stop until I either get through this kalesa or I just die as Ajahn Charles said if it's not good let it die if it doesn't die make it good it's that sense of determination and real value of the practice a real wholesome desire for Nibbana for pursuing the practice whatever it takes however long it takes being willing to work with oneself, one's own mind. Sometimes to inspire the monks, Ajahn Chah would say he put his whole life at stake to gain the Dhamma that he has and then to bring it back to teach all of us. It wasn't a casual thing he did. It wasn't random or by chance he consciously deliberately practiced he was willing to put everything into the practice even risk his own life sometimes because of disease wild animals and so on obviously that kind of determination builds up it's cumulative over time we might not have it in the beginning all the same, it's worth reflecting on it. That's the kind of determination they developed. And they started out just like us. It's not like they were some special super alien race from another planet or something. They're human beings just like us. Had enough insight and enough faith to realize it's worth practicing or even gaining that kind of commitment.
well, tonight is the uh, half moon night. Right. Put more effort into the practice, sitting and walking. For now, we can uh, finish the talk here. We can do some purita chanting. <laughs> 